Welcome back to Held and Healed. This podcast is a resource filled with resources to help you on your healing journey, especially for women who are rebuilding their lives after abuse. And today we have a guest on that has taken two and a half years since our last interview to get back together for this podcast. So uh, welcome to Jimmy Hinton. Thank you for being here. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Heather. You were actually my very first podcast interview ever in episode number six of this podcast. So oh, wow. that's pretty cool. Yeah. And I got to sit and listen to you and your mom on your podcast. And as far as I know, every episode I have listened to it. So why don't you oh, just wow. tell us a little bit about you and why um, you're passionate about raising a voice and raising awareness and um, just give us a little bit of a bio. Yeah, sure. So um, I grew up in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, and that's where uh, Flight 93 um, went down on September 11th. Um, so that was plane number four, the final plane to, to come down uh, whenever the passengers stormed the cockpit. Um, and I am, I mean, extremely familiar with Ground Zero. I used to camp there uh, quite a bit. It was an old strip mine, and um, I, I knew and know exactly uh, where the plane went down. I spent a lot of hours exactly on ground zero. Um, I went to college and seminary um, down down south, so college in Arkansas, and then seminary in Memphis. And um, in 2007, my wife and I moved back up north and uh, back to near my hometown here in Somerset. And in 2000, say 2009, um, I entered into full-time ministry at the church that I grew up at. Uh, two years into ministry in 2011, my youngest sister, Alex, um, as an adult, a young adult, disclosed to me that she had been sexually abused by our father. Um, so I, I talked to mom, and um, we immediately reported him uh, to the police, and he was subsequently um, brought in for a statement uh, confessed to 23 victims, including uh, quite a few more family members. Um, and we think he has uh, into the hundreds of victims. Um, we had many people come to us after who said that they were abused by him, uh, who were not part of the 23 who he confessed to. Uh, so in 2012, right when the Jerry Sandusky uh, trial was going on, which by the way, Jerry Sandusky is about two miles up the road from where I'm sitting right now. He's uh, housed here in Somerset, uh, wow. one of our prisons. And um, so, yeah, 2012, my dad was uh, given a, a life sentence, a 30-year mandatory minimum. So he'll be 91 years old when he's first eligible for parole. Mm. Um, so he will die in prison. And um, so that kind of sparked my... Um, my second career, I guess you could say, into uh, advocacy and uh, just researching abuse techniques and trying to find out how we all missed it. Um, he had been abusing victims for his entire life, and uh, none of us had a clue. So, uh, and it literally was going on right under our same roof. So, and an important uh, element you know. is that he was a pastor as well. Yes. Yeah. And so, so all of this was happening while he was in quote unquote full-time ministry. Yes, correct. Yeah. Yeah. So now, that's in your who family, I am. in your family, your sister, well, and maybe this isn't something you all share. Um, is your sister the only one that he 
um, did this to, or do you know of other family members? No, he, he did abuse other family members. Okay. Yes. And he has basically told you, I believe you said that if he had it, if he had the chance to get out, he would just continue these behaviors. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah. He wrote me a letter from prison and, and um, yeah, I, I'd been calling him on his, on his BS and you know, he, he just was obsessing about getting pictures of our kids and sending wow. them to prison. And we were like, you have no reason to see pictures of our kids and you've proved that you can't look at kids without sexualizing them. So no, it's an absolute no. Um, and he laid this big, heavy guilt trip on and, you know, I've, I'm a changed man. And, you know, I never, I never lusted after kids with their clothes on, which is total, total bull crap. Um, so, you know, I, I'd called him out on that and I wasn't going to budge. I'm not sending pictures of my kids to him ever. Um, and, um, so he wrote me back and finally, when he saw that, that I wasn't going to budge, he said, you know, he's like, in the end, it's probably a good idea. Cause he said, if I got out tomorrow, I would abuse victims tomorrow. He said, I, I, I absolutely would produce victims the minute I got out of prison. And I was like, you know, it's interesting because if you don't back down, you know, the Bible says resist the devil and he will flee from you. Uh, people don't put up resistance, you know, and churches especially, they're, they're notorious for given second chances and oh my goodness, they found, they found Jesus in prison and mm. they did their time and shouldn't we give them the benefit of the doubt? And you know, it's all this bizarre stuff. And you're like, no, they're, they're absolutely evil. And you would find that out if you actually resisted them uh, because they do eventually give up. Uh, they do run away. Now they'll go to, to the next person. They'll go to the path of least resistance. But if you do resist um, eventually they'll walk away. And they'll show their true colors. And they will you know, show their true colors in the when process. When you stand up against evil, mm -hmm. it's just a matter of time till it it reveals itself. Um, Absolutely. And so that's that's what brings us together today. Is there's a topic that gets weaponized mm -hmm. <laughs> against, especially survivors of heinous abuse. Um, the church is notorious for doing this to women who come with domestic violence. Um, situations to children who have been harmed in ways like your father has done. And that trigger word, and it is very triggering for most of us survivors, is forgiveness. And yeah. we are often met at a disclosure when coming for help, a, a survivor is coming to their, their, their church, to their pastor for help. And that's one of the very first things that comes out of the mouth of their leadership. Mm -hmm. And so today we're going to talk about why that is not where we began and what forgiveness is versus what it's not. And something that Sarah McDougall has done a really good job of doing is teaching about the different seasons of healing. And so safety is first mm -hmm. and stability is next and strength is third. And then moving into that Shiro state where she may go back into the fire to bring other people out. When a woman is not safe or stable, we dare not even use or mention the word forgiveness. It's out of place. It's out of, yeah. it's just, it's going to be um, used to heap shame and blame and put responsibility on her. So let's just begin. And if people want a more extensive breakdown, you did in episodes 33 through 37 of your podcast, you talked about this more yes. extensively, but today we're just going to kind of talk about this subject generally 
and why this is not where we began <laughs> mm-hmm. at the point of disclosure, at the point of trauma, at the point of crisis. And then what does the Bible really say and mean when it's talking about these? So however you want to unpack that, we'll just we'll just roll with it. Yeah, I, I mean, first, first, let's start with this. Um, why is it that forgiveness is the first response that the church comes to instead of repentance? Why is mm-hmm. why? Why is the responsibility put on the shoulders of the person who is victimized to say, you've got to do this and you need to do it quickly? Um, And they never even mention uh, repentance to the abuser. They don't go to the abuser, knock on that person's door and say, you need to repent. Look at the damage that you caused. Look at what you created. You've got to repent and make this right. I've never seen a church do that. I, I haven't uh, so, either. And and strangely or not strangely enough, I just spoke with Tom Bride in the previous episode and we unpacked what repentance actually looks like. Yeah. So it is way more than crocodile tears. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's That's way right. more than words. It's way more than I'm sitting in prison and I have nothing else to do but think. And so I'm going to come up with these pretty words that I know people mm-hmm. want to hear. It's That's not even... Yeah. That's not even even remotely what repentance looks like. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, in fact, John the Baptist didn't tell people to repent. He said, "Bear fruit in keeping with your repentance." Wow. You know wow. what's what, what what's the fruit that people are producing? You know, um, because that's evidence that you've repented, not that you said so, not that you said, "Oh, I found Jesus in prison." I find that interesting with sexual abusers because uh, there there's kind of a common saying that. Um, uh, abusers kind of know this in prison. And, and the saying is this, if you don't have Jesus in prison, find Jesus in prison. And what they're saying is, uh, you'll be able to easily walk out of here yeah. when those doors open up and your sentence is up, you'll be able to walk into any church. All you have to do is say that you found Jesus in prison. What's interesting is statistically, the vast majority of sexual abusers in prison were already professed yeah. Christians in the first place or Christian leaders. Exactly. And so this notion that they somehow found Jesus in prison and were like, well, what, what were you doing when you were preaching for decades, you know, and abusing all these victims? Did you not find Jesus then? And so we're <laughs> supposed to believe now, uh, now that you got caught, right? that you found Jesus somehow. Right. So, you know, it's just the math has to add up and, and, and it very rarely does. Um, so that's my thing is why, why do we not first talk about repentance? Why is that not a first step to put, to put the um, the burden on the shoulders of the person who caused the damage and to say, look, you owe all kinds of damages for 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 this carnage that you caused, and you've got to start uh, making payment. You know, payments do, uh, and we get this in the secular world. You know, like w- let me put it this way: we get it with physical things in the mm-hmm. secular world. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So. If somebody comes and I use this example all the time, if somebody comes on your property intentionally, uh, drives their vehicle through your yard, does a bunch of donuts, rips up your yard, goes into your thirty thousand dollar flower bed and just absolutely annihilates it um, and then pulls up to your uh, to your porch, wraps a chain around the post and and pulls your porch down. Um, They drive off. You have a camera. You got you know, you got their license plate number, whatever. Nobody in their right mind, no Christian in their right mind would say, you know, you need to just find it in your heart to forgive them. Wow. Wow. Um, Especially if they're going down to the neighbor's house and doing the same thing. Nobody in their right mind would do that. So with physical property, we actually treat it with more respect than we do our own children. Wow. Yeah. Wow. You know, when it comes to abusing children, what's the response? Oh my goodness. You've, 
the only way you're going to find healing is if you forgive. You've just got to, you know, they won't even know that you're doing it. I love that mm-hmm. one. They won't even know that you're forgiving them, but you've got to find it in your heart to forgive them. No, you got to, you got to call the police. You've got to drag them by the neck, bring them back and say, look what the crap you did to my yes. property. Yes. Or in, in the case of a child, look what damage you did to my kid. Pay up. Pay up. But we don't do it, you know, and uh, it just doesn't make sense to me. And it's not a and pay, pay up in that in that incident would look more. It would look like confessing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it would say, and I'm willing That's to right. do whatever I need to to repair the damage. It would be paying for doctor's bills and therapy bills. That's like just exactly as a right. baseline, just as a baseline. Exactly. Baseline. Exactly. And we're not seeing that. We aren't seeing that. Exactly and saying, right. I know that I'm a danger to others and I will never put myself in a place yes. where I can harm a child again. Because I proved because I proved that I cannot be trusted. Yes. I've proved that when other people's children are in my presence, I cannot keep my hands to myself. Mm. I can't do it. I've proved that I can't do it. Therefore, you should never allow me around your children. Even if even if I have all kinds of safeguards in place, even if I think that I'm that I'm well, I have clearly proved over and over again that I cannot be trusted around other people's children. That's what a repentant abuser would say. So you and I have a very strong opinion. No, it's not an opinion. We believe this is biblically based and founded. You and I believe that these people do not belong in churches. hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I, why it, that's even up for debate. I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand right. it. I just don't understand why any church, once a person is convicted, you know how much has to be done to prove a conviction. Right. Okay. There are countless people that are never convicted that aren't safe around children, but once they are convicted, can we just at least start there? That's right. And say they're not allowed around our women and children. Right. Why, why is that not just, if, if it even wasn't in the Bible where it talks about having nothing to do with wolves. Okay. We, we have clear biblical mandates but just common sense. Why is common sense so uncommon? I know. Well, I, even, you know, even just the threat of, you know, the threat of abuse, which is, which is very real. Uh, look at the liability issue. And I tell churches all the time, like, you guys are literally making yourselves uninsurable and you don't even know it. I'm like, have you contacted your insurance company and told them that you have a known abuser, some a convicted child sexual rapist? You have... Somebody who you know committed these crimes, was convicted, spent time in prison, got released from prison, and now you have them in your church. And to make it so much worse, nine and a half times or 9.9 times out of 10, churches intentionally choose not to inform the congregation. They'll keep that within leadership and sometimes only within a portion of leadership. They don't even tell all the leaders that they have a convicted sex offender in the pews. So I tell them like, have you contacted your insurance company and, and told them this? Um, because they're going to want to know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they look at me like I'm absolutely insane. Well, why would we, why would we let our insurance company know? I'm like, <laughs> do you want to, do you hear yourselves? Right. Right. And so we are not in support of covenant signed by these predators we're not no. support of chaperoning them around the building nope. because we know they can do harm in plain sight so just because adults are present does not mean that harm is not happening so that's right those well, are just and, baseline yeah 
in, in the words of uh, I have to tame this down because it was she was very vulgar, but um, and rightfully so. But um, I, I interviewed a prison psychologist, um, top notch prison psychologist who um, she has her Ph.D. and just constant like she knows her stuff. Um, and I asked her what she thought about churches uh, whenever pr her prisoners get released. And I'm like, these churches not only bring them into the church, but they say, well, we're, it's our duty to forgive them. And, you know, uh, we have to give them a second chance. And they did their time in prison. Uh, what do you say to that? And she's like, um, are they effing nuts? She's like, even if they never physically touch a child in that church, she's like, which you and I both know, um, <laughs> that's a near impossibility. Um, they're just really good. And like my, my specialty is abuse in plain sight. Um, just because you have people in the same room right. doesn't mean that they can't sexually assault children right in front of your eyes. Um, and you not see it. So, um, you know, she, so she said, let's just assume for a second that they don't physically touch a child. She's like, I can tell you as a prison therapist, what, what almost virtually every single sex offender and she was talking about pedophiles specifically. She's like, I can, I can tell you what they're doing here in prison. And she's like, in prison, we call it old school Photoshop. So she said, they'll take images from magazines that are laying out all over the prison and they do cut and paste. And she's like, they have their child pornography material that they produce by cutting and pasting in prison. Mm. And then they... um and I probably can't use the word, but you, you, uh, you know what action I'm talking about they do to those pictures. Uh, and so she said, when they walk into a church building, do you think that these people have pure thoughts when they see all these little kids crawling around and all these little girls in their dresses and these boys yep. in their, you know, cute little uh, Sunday outfits? Do you think they have pure thoughts about your children when they're sitting there? She's like, I'm telling you, they don't. So and she's this like, is why, why some would you... people are just choosing to keep their kids off of the internet, you know, because they Absolutely. don't want their child's face being put onto. <laughs> That's exactly yeah. right. And now with AI, it's getting really it... scary what people can do. Right. Yeah. So I respect, I, I, I know everybody has to come to their own, you know, place in that, but I respect the ones that choose not to put their children out there to have that digital footprint. So, yeah. all right. Forgiveness. So, what is it? What isn't it? <laughs> um, yeah. So I will preface it require this. something on the part of the offender, because that's not something we hear about very often. That's right. Yeah. So I'm going to preface this by saying, um, because I know it's a sensitive topic and I don't want to tell people that I'm telling you to forgive or not to forgive. All right. So that's I know it's a personal decision. And I've had people tell me, like, we appreciate what you're saying, but, you know, we choose to forgive anyway. And uh, fine. That, that's that is none of my business what what you do. But I want to talk about some biblical terminology and, and a biblical view of what uh, what forgiveness is. And I think we've we've really. Twisted scripture around to kind of fit this narrative that it's the it's the age old saying that forgiveness is for you it's not for the abuser <laughs> to which i respond then what is the point um because flip this around a little bit and think about it just logically and then we'll we'll look at it biblically but think of it logically um 
hopefully all of us have been forgiven because if we've been forgiven by by people, I mean, not by God, um, by people, uh, because that means that we confessed and we admitted that what we did was wrong. Um, anytime that I've been forgiven by somebody I love, I've absolutely melted into a pile of tears of gratefulness for something that I don't deserve. Mm. When I genuinely hurt somebody and somebody genuinely forgives me, that's they're not doing that for themselves. They're not like, I'm going to feel better about myself. They're doing it for me. That's a gift for me. I was the one who wronged that person. I was the one who hurt that person. And so forgiveness by definition is a relieving or releasing of somebody's debt. Um, so when we wrong somebody, we owe them something. Uh, just like the guy who goes into the yard, the example that I gave him spins up the yard and you know does tens of thousands of dollars of damage, that person owes you that money back. They've got to right the wrongs that they did. Oftentimes we can't pay back in full the amount of damage that we caused because we're humans and we're really good at screwing things up. Uh, forgiveness says you've attempted to pay back what you owe me. I know in 10 lifetimes, you'll never be able to repay what you took from me. So I am relieving you of the rest of that debt. I'm wiping that debt clean. That's forgiveness. Forgiveness says you no longer owe me anything um, because you've attempted to pay back what, what you destroyed. All right. So that's a biblical mm. definition of forgiveness. Um, and so it, it, I, I find it fascinating that we've spun this around and said, well, they won't even know that you're forgiving them. It's, you know, <laughs> it's all for you. Find that in the Bible anywhere. Yeah. yeah. Find that even alluded to in the Bible. I challenge you to find that anywhere in the Bible. And, and so, you know, that kind of leads to another question. What does it mean when the Bible says that we need to forgive dot, dot, dot as what? As the Lord forgives. Well, how does the Lord forgive? Did Jesus walk around and say, you know, you're not, the, let's take uh, Luke 7, the, the, the woman of the city. Uh, you know, I, I think virtually every scholar would say, well, she was clearly a prostitute. Okay. So she walks in uninvited into, into Simon the Pharisee's house. Um, they're having a formal dinner with the rabbi, with Jesus. So this is a huge no-no to come in unannounced. Simon in his mind, he's thinking, well, if Jesus knew what kind of a woman this was who's touching him and you know, she's crying, she's down on her hands and knees, which is, uh, think of how humiliating that is. Mm -hmm. She's literally on her hands and knees, sobbing, wiping his feet with her tears and grinding her hair into his, into his feet with snot and tears. I mean, you want to talk about humiliation. You want to talk about being at rock bottom. And I love, I love Luke's narrative. Um, Luke is really good at like slowing the scene down and kind of pointing the camera in different directions and just coaxing out emotions. And it says, Jesus turned talking to Simon, looked at the woman so I find it interesting. He's addressing Simon who's behind him, but he's looking at the woman and he says, Simon, do you see this woman? Hmm. 
It's not talking about like, you know, clearly Simon sees the woman. That's mm-hmm. not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, yeah. do you see who this heartbroken woman is? Mm-hmm. Do you see her heart? Yeah. And then he, you know, he, he, um, he addresses the woman and, you know, um, tells her, I think some of the most freeing words in the, in the English language, of course he spoke it in the Greek language, but he said, your sins are forgiven. And then he says three words, which absolutely I think made her world go in peace. Now you tell me, Jesus clearly forgave her. Was that for Jesus or was that for the woman? Clearly it was for her. Absolutely. Yeah. So to forgive as the Lord forgives says, all right, she is literally on her hands and knees. She crawled to Jesus in, in a pile of shame and guilt and humiliation. <laughs> this wasn't somebody who's going out and is like, you know, getting with every guy in town and being like, you know, I don't even, I don't even know if Jesus forgives me. You know, I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep on doing this. You know, that, that wasn't her. She was broken. She was, she was remorseful. She was sorry. She was sorrowful. She was full of pain and shame and guilt and, you know, all these things. Jesus sees that. He knows her heart and he forgives her for her sake, not for his. That's to forgive as the Lord forgives. Um, and, and there are so many examples of this all throughout scripture. Never do you find Jesus forgive people for his own healing, for his own sake, to feel better about himself. Right. Uh, it, it's just, it's, and, and this is the other thing too, like, and I have a hard time saying this because I don't want to, I don't want to hurt survivors of, of abuse, but this is just kind of an outsider looking in like kind of my perspective. I've heard countless survivors say, I am struggling so hard to forgive and it is a daily battle. And I, I've been in, you know, 17 years of therapy and I, I, I have bad dreams and I, you know, I, I keep thinking about my abuser obsessing about his, his face keeps going through my mind. I keep, you know, flashbacks, all this stuff. Okay. Right. If forgiveness is supposed to be a healing thing, excuse me, but that doesn't look very healing. It doesn't. And it's not trauma informed at all. No, it's not. And if there's a therapist or a spiritual leader who is forcing that, they do not understand that the body remembers. We can't Absolutely. forget. We and and even Absolutely. just forgive and forget. We know that's not biblical right. because it is humanly impossible. And even God Himself cannot forget, right? Because He's all knowing. Right. And so that 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 idea that if you just say certain words or pray certain prayers, that all of that's going to go away is absolute bull crap. It's bull crap. Yeah, it's that's not right. trauma informed. And our bodies remember, we might get really, really just triggered and twitchy and exhausted at certain times of the year. And then we look at the calendar. We're like, yeah. Oh, that's when that happened. Like yeah. our bodies remember often before our minds remember that's right. our trauma bursaries. That's right. And so, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up to anybody who's listening, who feels that pressure either from themselves or from their therapist or from a spiritual leader, or even you think from God, that's not the voice of God. 
Yeah. That's not, he would want to just hold you. He says, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He is not saying, do this, yeah. do this, do this, do this, and then you'll feel better. Like he knows we're exhausted. He knows that That's we right. are, we are just war torn and, and just whipped from all the crazy stuff in life. And I actually have started using the word release because I think there's so much about forgiveness that has been yeah. misused and mm -hmm. and weaponized that I don't understand it fully. And I'm not going to tell another person what is between them and God to do or not to do. Sure. And so I think about Jesus on the cross hanging between the two thieves when he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And that's kind of the approach that I take is just releasing them into God's hands to deal with. Because I don't even know if I can forgive someone who hasn't asked for forgiveness, who hasn't repented. I don't even know if that's even possible. Yeah. I'm asking this question. And a lot of people are asking this question, but I can release them so that I'm not carrying that full burden and weight upon my shoulders every single day. It doesn't mean I'm not going to get triggered. It doesn't mean I'm not going to remember mm. things, but I'm just like handing them over to God. Like, I don't know what to do with this. You do it. You do it. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting example. I mean, I think that again, plays into well, what does it mean to forgive as the Lord forgives? He says, um, forgive them. And he doesn't stop there. He doesn't end that with a period. Father, forgive them because that's what we're supposed to do. Right. He doesn't say that. He says, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. They're, they're, they're acting in ignorance. And, and so Jesus is asking for this forgiveness because they don't know what they're doing. Well, that begs a question. Well, what about people who do, do know? know yes. They know exactly what they're doing. So there doing. are two different camps um, here. You're so that's right. right. Two different camps. That's so the right. thieves, the thieves on the cross, uh, no, no, the, the ones who were crucifying him, they may not, they may have thought they were doing their civic duty, right? Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But abusers, abusers, no, they do know. So thank that's you right. for making that distinction. That's a really important. Well, and I think the Bible makes that distinction, right? Yeah. Um, Paul, this is interesting. Paul, when he's writing to Timothy in his first letter in um, chapter one, verse 13, um, he says, you know, he's talking about how he was such a horrible person. And, you know, I persecuted Christians like Paul lays it all out. He's not hiding anything. Paul never hid anything, by the way. Uh, if you think about Paul's life, <clears throat> I always say like Paul's pathology didn't change when he became a Christian. Paul's actions changed, but his pathology didn't. Wow. So his pathology was, I'm going to, I'm going to try to do what pleases God, no matter what. No matter what. That was both pre and post being a Christian. So when Paul was persecuting Christians, wrong as he was, uh, and he did horrific things. I mean, absolutely despicable things. Paul didn't hide. He didn't lie. He didn't pretend to be somebody he wasn't. Paul did exactly what he did for the purpose of honoring God. Hmm. He was wrong about it, hmm. but that was his goal. That was his purpose. When Paul becomes a Christian, Paul does whatever he can do within his, within his will, within his power hmm. to please God. That never changed. Hmm. And so in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, chapter 1, verse 13, uh, Paul's laying this all out to Timothy, like, this is who I was. And then he says, for I received mercy because mm. I had acted in ignorance mm. and unbelief. Wow. That's precisely why Paul received mercy from God, because he was sinning in ignorance. So forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Mm. Paul lays that out. Okay, well, what does Paul say about people who willfully and intentionally oppress and harm people? Oh, it turns out he has a lot to say about it. Yes, yes. Um, it's the other 
one thirteen and in Second Timothy, um, uh, I think it's one thirteen. Anyway, Paul's uh, Paul's talking about all these evil people and they do all these these things willful, uh, willfully, intentionally, and then he says, uh, evil people go on from bad to worse. Mm-hmm. Um, evil people and imposters go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. It's that self-deception, like, oh my goodness, me and God are, we're great, Mm -hmm. you know? And abusers often use that. And I think a lot of times they actually think it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or in the words of my dad, when he wrote me from prison, he said, I'm as pure as the wind-driven snow. Oh my gosh, wow. You're a dirt bag. You're not. Jimmy's like, don't you mess up snow for me. I like snow. (laughs) You are not it. (laughs) That's right. So, you know, it's this idea that, willful willful evil rotten people who refuse to repent the bible's so clear have nothing to do with them have nothing have have nothing to do with that's right dear church Mm -hmm. dear pastor yeah have nothing to do with them. well this is interesting yeah oh sorry go ahead yeah keep going and, and any abuser i believe is a wolf so you know we're not just talking about pedophiles because you know there are many different ways to abuse and to harm and i remember the last church that i was a part of i sat and i shared um some of my story and was basically asked if my abuser walked through the door would they be welcome here and they were like oh yes the abused and the abuser are welcome here and at the time i didn't know what i didn't know you know Yeah. yeah i knew what i had been taught all my life i knew about cheap grace i knew about sin mm-hmm. leveling i knew about all that crap that puts an abuser in the same place as somebody who steals a pencil or a candy bar you know yeah not yeah. not the same not the same that's right and so finally the light started to turn on for me and i was like oh this isn't a safe place for me this is a place where I will be protected or that I can protect other people. And then soon after leaving, I found out that someone was on like the parking team, which is part of security that was a convicted sex criminal. Wow. And when I confronted that, I was told, yeah, they're allowed to serve in certain, in certain capacities, but not in others. I was like, it's part of your security team. Do you not (laughs) see how ridiculous that is? And ironic that is how wrong that is. And this person, Uh, of course, was in the building with children. And even if his crimes were against adults, I still don't think he should be near children. I agree. Yeah. So, yes. Well, I think continuing this theme, like, you know, this biblical view of forgiveness. All right. Well, one of the lessons that I did that that you referred to, I did a whole whole lesson on um, the the gift of unforgiveness. Mm. All right. So uh, think about it this way too. Like, People think they're they're given this abuser, which I, I've come to hate the term ministering to the the abuser, the convicted sex offender. We're gonna how do we minister to them? Mm-hmm. You want to minister to them? Here's how you minister Confront to them. Confront their sin. Tell them to get bent. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Go Confront, away. Confront yeah. them. Yes. Stay away from here. Yeah. I'm gonna help you to get better. Yes. By in the Keeping words of Paul. Keeping you away from that's yes. right. We're in the words of Paul in in 1 Corinthians 5, I'm going to hand you over to Satan so that, and it's with a purpose, Paul says, you know, this guy who's going around, he's sleeping with his mother and he's Mm. bragging about it. Um, Paul says, you ought to be ashamed, but instead you guys are proud. You're proud of this man. Um, Should you not instead kick him out of the church for the purpose of, I love what Paul says, hand him over to Satan 
so that on the day of judgment, his soul might be saved. Mm -hmm. It's an act. Unforgiveness is an act of grace to the abuser. You hand that person over to Satan. You say, you know what? You have no place here. You don't belong. As long as you keep doing what you're doing, you do not belong here. Um, essentially, you're giving them a spiritual um, kick to the butt to kind of wake them up a little bit. And what's fascinating about that, what's fascinating about 1 Corinthians 5 is it actually worked. And then in 2 Corinthians, Paul comes back in a second letter and he says, all right, <laughs> um, time to bring this man back in. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority has been enough. I love that phrase. They inflicted, they intentionally inflicted harm on this man to shame him and make him feel bad for the purpose of repentance. That's what grace looks like. You want to offer grace to an abuser? Yes. Get yes. them to repent. Yeah. It's not an act of grace to pretend like he repented, uh, bring him into the church, keep it hush hush, yeah. sign a secret covenant agreement among the leadership, hide him in the church, uh, fail to tell the mothers and, and fathers of these yeah. little children that they yes. have a, a known serial abuser in their midst. Right. right. That's not an act of grace to anybody. Um, so this is interesting too. In, in John chapter 20, verse 23, Jesus himself says to his disciples, if you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven. All right, cool. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld them. Huh. So Jesus is not only essentially commanding unforgiveness, but he's, but he's wow. condoning it. Wow. Hey, if you forgive them, um, if you forgive anybody, their sins are forgiven them. But if you withhold it, and that word is interesting, krateo is, is the Greek word. Um, it means to choke or to seize, to literally choke out forgiveness. It's it's not a passive term that Jesus uses. It's a very intentionally active term. If you choke out their forgiveness, mm. it will be withheld from them. Okay, for what purpose? Well, I think Paul laid that out pretty clearly for the purpose of repentance and protection of the whole flock. Yeah. That's a biblical idea. And the Jewish yeah. people get it. You know, um, if, if you look into a Jewish view of forgiveness, there's not like this blanket. Oh, my goodness. We're going to forgive for our own inner healing and inner right. Zen. And, you <laughs> right. know, all this. they're like, no, you know what? Like the second they repent, we'll forgive them until then. And yeah. we're withholding forgiveness. Yeah. Well, um, in the passage, you would know probably the reference for this, but the passage that says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. So here's right. my question is if God requires confession, why would less be expected of human beings? I, I just don't understand Now I haven't gone and looked at that, you know, the original language and all that of that verse. But the way that I have you know learned that verse is there is something required on the part of the offender. Absolutely. And, and Jewish people like Jewish theology is fantastic on forgiveness. Like, and it's not Jewish theology, it's biblical theology. Um, but, you know, they begin in Genesis and they lay out this, this term that says, wait, if, if you're receiving forgiveness from somebody, the, the very first prerequisite for that is repentance until then nobody owes you any kind of forgiveness. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, Luke chapter 17, verses 3 and 4, Jesus says this. Um, he says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. <laughs> hmm. And if, if, it's conditional, if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. All right. So it's this preconditioned idea that until he repents, um, you don't owe him anything except a rebuke. And that's for the purpose of getting him to repent. It's an act of grace for, for Jesus to flip tables and to, to make whips out of cords mm -hmm. and to drive people out of the temple mm -hmm. he's not doing that to to because he's dramatic and you know he's trying to get an audience and you know win tiktok views and you know like he, he's not doing it for popularity he's doing it to protect innocent people one and two to get these people to wake up and to repent mm -hmm. um and over and over and over and over i mean this is laid out this hundreds of times in the scripture, I could give you hundreds of examples of these uh, and it's consistent every single time. Never is this example that says, uh, well, for your own inner healing, you've right. just got to forgive and they won't even right. know that you're doing it. Never. I've never seen an example no. of that ever. No, no, it's not. It's not, not even hinted at okay. in the Bible. Another scenario that is very common um, in the world that I, that I am in is when a pastor um, sexually and spiritually abuses a parishioner. So it's not an affair. It's not adultery. It is spiritual abuse. It is misusing his position of power and it is sexual abuse. And it should be, I wish it was criminal. And I think in some States it may be, but not in all. Okay. So yeah, it's like 16 States or something like that. Okay. Yeah. So a therapist, a doctor, a teacher, a coach, there's all different types of professions that they would be released from that. They would lose their licensing mm -hmm. and they would never be allowed to practice ever, ever, ever again, if they did that to someone who was a subordinate. And yet the church puts these mm -hmm. people back in positions of power. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so over I believe over over. that the Bible is clear that they are permanently disqualified from that position. I believe that with all my heart. Sure. I believe that. Um, can they be forgiven by God if they are truly repentant? Of course. Can they possibly be restored to some type of fellowship with the body? Maybe, perhaps. I don't know. I think they're wolves. Mm -hmm. I think they should stay out away from the sheep. But my God, to put them back in the pulpit a year later, 18 months later, two years later, or for them yeah. to just go to a new community and start over where nobody knows them. But I know denominations yeah. and networks that know what has happened and they are the ones that put them back in position. Oh, absolutely. What do you, what do you have to say about that? Yeah, I think it's insanity. Uh, uh, you know, and, and what's interesting too, um, there's an example of this in Second um, Peter chapter two. And uh, I mean, in, in all of chapter two and Second Peter, Peter comes unhinged. Peter's not saying... Uh, and the conclusion of the matter is for your own inner healing, you need to forgive them. Like <laughs> Peter, Peter goes off the rails and he's specifically talking about um, prophets. He calls them false prophets. And very specifically, he's talking about sexual predators and even more specifically, sexual predators of adult women 
who have already been abused and are barely escaping the flames um, of this fire. He calls them weak. Um, uh, I think the term is like weak women, and he doesn't mean that they're weak in the sense that you know they're 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 weak because they're women or anything like that. He, he says they're barely escaping the flames um, from other people's abuse. Yes, and so yes, yes. so these so these false prophets. Um, they take them and they abuse them. They sexually assault them. And he says, and they revel in the daytime. Like they're proud of it. Um, he says they revel in the daytime while they feast with you. And then he goes on, he calls them blots and blemishes. Um, he calls them mists that are uh, blown about by the wind, uh, waterless mists. Uh, he calls them uh, like dogs returning to their vomit. vomit. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he, like he has all this colorful language. Yes. And like, I think Christians read that or or avoid reading it. Mm -hmm. But if they read it, they're like, there's going to be like this ending where Peter says that it's our Christian duty to forgive them. You know, and and I think they're really sadly disappointed. <laughs> and I don't know how you can read Second Peter chapter two. And come to any conclusion that God says, well, just forgive for your own inner healing. Like Peter is Peter's like wildly off the rails, coming unhinged at these people. Yeah. He's like, you keep these people out of the church. Keep them away from your people. Like yeah. that message is crystal clear in Second Peter too. It and would weaker clear. would weaker in that passage be referring to anyone with lesser power? That's what I would think that that's what weaker means like yeah you're not when you are under a clergy member there's not equal power dynamics i'm gonna and see so if i wrote you, any notes on that so you sometimes... cannot legitimately consent to anything because they have a position of power over you you may think and you may be deceived into believing that you have consented into this this relationship that's but right because they have that power over you it is not and i think the same is true in the workforces yeah. and anywhere that someone has power over you that dynamic is not equal it is not consensual that's right yeah yeah i mean listen to peter's language it's just fascinating um he says but these he's talking about these false prophets the sexual predators he's like like irrational animals mm -hmm. creatures of instinct born to be caught and destroyed Blaspheming about matters of which they're ignorant will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions. Uh, See, this is such a polar opposite of Paul describing himself pre-becoming a Christian. Yeah. I mean, these are people who they're bold, they're willful, they're they're deceptive, they're liars. But he says, um, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. That's what it is. Not weak. It's unsteady. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They've followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing. These are people who love harming other people they're oppressors um but was rebuked for his own transgression a speechless donkey spoke with the human voice restrained the prophet's madness these are waterless springs and mist driven by a storm mm. uh, for them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved it's not talking about forgiveness here mm. <laughs> you know peter's not like uh but yeah. 
it's your Christian duty to just forgive them. And uh, they won't even know that you're doing it. Yeah. What translation is that? That's a ESV English standard version. Okay. And Adam Young, I don't know if you're familiar. He has a teaching. um, I can't remember which episodes on his, the place we find ourselves where he talks about the normal garden variety center, like you and I, (laughs) and he talks about evil and wicked. He makes distinctions between the evil and the wicked person. And it was so clarifying for me to listen to that because he is again, going back to the word of God. And he's saying, these people are not the same as you and me. They're just not the same. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. There has to be special treatment for them. And that is very, very different than how you handle someone who sends against their brother or sister in a normal garden variety center sort of yeah. way. <laughs> yeah. Well, I kind of want to, I, I know you're getting tight on time, so I don't want to just <clears throat> like leave this as a big question mark. So I, I guess the question is, well, what does, yes. what does, or what should bring healing then? Okay. Right. For, for the oppressed. Um, and you know, for me, like, I think biblically it boils down to what really brings healing is not you forgiving somebody like in the, in the closet of your own home and they won't even know that you're doing it. Um, what brings healing and what, what brings healing for victims specifically of this horrific kind of oppression is knowing that somebody's either, either stopped or that that person has genuinely repented, which means they've also stopped. Um, and, and, and so we know that abusers don't stop. So what brings healing is letting the world know what they did. Mm, Wow. And then avoiding those people having nothing to do and saying like, I owe you nothing. All this stuff, like Christians who lay the guilt trip on and they're like, oh, you won't be forgiven unless you forgive them. That's total, utter nonsense. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus is not talking about unrepentant oppressors uh, in that context ever. Um, so telling the abuser, for me, this this kind of, I think, gives survivors a, a lot more control and power, which they ought to have. They have power over the abuser by saying, I owe you nothing. Mm-hmm. In fact, you owe me everything. Wow. You stole, robbed, yes. destroyed yes. without my consent. Yes. You wrecked so many pieces of my life. Mm-hmm. You owe me everything. Wow. You wow. ought to be like that woman in in. Luke seven, who's crawling on your hands and knees, sobbing and crying and rubbing my feet with your hair. That's what you owe me. I owe you nothing to me. That's healing to say, I don't know. I don't know this abuser, anything. Mm -hmm. I'm not the one who I'm not the one who did anything wrong. And therefore I don't owe them anything that includes forgiveness. I don't. And it's showing concern for their eternal soul when we do that's right. That's we right. care that they would make things right legitimately for yeah. real true repentance so that they are not in danger of eternity in separation from God. Like that is yeah. the ultimate act of love. Yeah, ultimately. it is. Absolutely. And it's an act of grace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's it's an act of grace towards the abuser to say, mm-hmm. I, I'm going to, I'm going to push you to the brink of collapse to get you to stop. Yeah. 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 Um, 
you know, yeah. and, and, and that's for the safety of future victims. That's for the safety of current victims. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's for the sake of the abuser. I want you to repent. Yeah. I don't know of anybody who's like, you know, uh, uh, like I wrote an article about this before, like all the comments where people would, they would write comments on my blogs and be like, I hope your dad gets his in prison. And, you know, meaning, mm-hmm. you know, what he did to other people, they hope that inmates do. And I'm like, that doesn't really bring me comfort. No, no. What what would bring, like, that's just more, more layers of pain to an already horrific situation. What would bring me comfort is for him to absolutely collapse into the ground and to, to plead and beg for mercy and forgiveness yeah. and to prove that he's at, to bear fruit in keeping yeah. with his repentance. Bear fruit. Yeah. Wow. And um, like that would actually bring me some form of comfort. Yeah. Um, but until then, I I don't owe him anything. His victims don't owe him a thing. Mm-hmm. They owe him nothing. Yeah. Well, spiritual leaders and counselors and friends of survivors, we hope that if you have tried to force forgiveness on others, that you would go back now and just ask for you know forgiveness for forcing something on people for putting and placing the shame and the blame and the responsibility onto the one who has already been harmed. And then if you are that survivor today, who has just been wrestling, like Jimmy shared that example, you've been in counseling and you've, you've said the words and you've prayed the prayers and you've done the things that you were told to do the formula, but you're still hurting. Maybe it's time to go deeper into understanding what has happened inside of your body, what trauma has done to your body, instead of just beating yourself over the head that you just need to dot, 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 you just need to forgive because that's probably not what's happening here. And you can release like I do. You can just release them. Say, God, I don't really understand how this works. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We can be so real with him and say, I don't want them to have power over me. I don't want them to have control over me. I, I talk to my ladies a lot about boundaries. Boundaries are a girl's best friend when it comes to this, you can go low contact. You can go no contact. You can completely cut people out. You can block people on social media. You can do whatever you have to do to feel safe and to find peace. And that does not mean you're bitter. That does not mean you're unforgiving. That does not mean you're resentful. It means you're wise and you want to heal. And you cannot be in a situation. I use the, the analogy of an open, you know, flesh wound that somebody just keeps taking a stick and just keeps poking, poking, poking. You're never going to heal. As long as somebody holds that stick and keeps poking, you're going to get infected. It's going to spread through your body. You're going to die. You got to get away from the situation. You got to take the stick away from the abuser. You have to apply healing salve and balm and rest and boundaries, and you can begin to heal get to safety, get to safety. If your church is forcing this on you, it's not a place of safety. It's not a place of of peace. Get, get away, get away. So many women find themselves getting out of destructive marriages, but they stay in destructive churches and their healing is so um, stunted because of that. So if your church is forcing this on you and making you the person that needs to do, and what was the word putting the burden the, the burden on you instead of on your oppressor. It's not a safe church. So yeah. Jimmy, tell people where they can find you, what's new in your life, because I know the podcast journey came to an end, but what are you up to now? It did. So um, <clears throat> I still, I, I haven't written very much lately, but I'm going to get back into it. Um, JimmyHinton.org is where I have um, all of my material. There's tons of free videos, 
there's also this was just added um, a couple months ago, but it's a it's a very very affordable um, full course a training on child abuse prevention. Uh, it's eight videos, about an hour each, so um, eight hours for um, for a very reasonable price, and you can either bundle them all together. Um, or if you just see one video that you're like, oh, I want to buy that and and not do the whole course for $20, you can literally um, pick one video and 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 never look at the rest of them. So um, kind of a kind of a an exciting thing um, that I I wanted to offer. Um, and then uh, just Jimmy Hinton author is my Facebook. Uh, I'm not very active on on uh, X anymore. Um I just, I don't know why there's no reason. I just <laughs> busyness. Um, uh, but that's where you can find me. My website's probably the easiest jimmyhinton.org. And, um, yeah, I, I plan to, uh, get back into writing more regularly on the blog and providing, uh, materials for people. Well, thank you for everything you've done and all the countless people that you're helping. And we just pray for blessings in this new season. Thank you, Heather. Thank you.